0: Hello and welcome to Tuesday Thanks, presented by Leeds Hospitality Group. I'm your host, Brian Proctor. Join me as we sit down to chat with yet another industry leader. Our guests come from a wide range of professions across the globe. We'll take the time to learn about their journey, where it started and where they are today. We use this opportunity to allow the guest to thank an individual or individuals that played a key role in their career understand what they learned from the experience and how they have incorporated it into their own development and growth. Gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. Not only can it help your mental well-being, it can also improve your physical health. So join us as we share some great stories, thank a lot of wonderful people, and of course, share some laughs. Let's do this. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Tuesday's Thanks. I'm very excited today to be joined by Henry Lubert. Henry is the co-founder of Synergy Global Housing. In combination with their parent organization, the Ascot Limited, Synergy offers over 120,000 apartments worldwide, as well as nearly 500,000 apartments across 6,000 locations via their vast supply chain network effectively making it one of the most dynamic global temporary housing platforms available today. Henry, thanks so much for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to be with me today. I really appreciate it.
1: Brian, thank you. I'm honored to be here.
0: The temporary housing service department, whatever you want to really call it, is not overly well known in the States as it is in Europe and Asia Pacific. So I thought maybe uh, I'm going to do something a little different today and we start with giving an outline of Synergy, who Synergy is, what do they do, and then we'll kind of get back into your story of the journey. But I thought that might be a good way to start just based upon the fact that having been in that industry for a New York minute, it's fascinating. And I think people would love to hear all about it. So if you could, you know, start with that, I think would be
1: great. Sure. Synergy is a global provider of fully furnished and accessorized departments worldwide here in the United States commonly referred to as you alluded corporate housing, and then offshore, more commonly referred to as serviced accommodations or service departments. And here in the United States, really, you're probably familiar in the eighties with a concept that came out by Mr. Jack DeVere with extended stay hotels, Uh, hotels that were a little more for extended stay housing, and they had kitchens and living rooms and bedrooms, et cetera. Well, Corporate housing evolved around the same time as extended stay hotels and it's utilization of a fully furnished and accessorized apartment for interim housing. Typically, your average length of stay is 45 nights, so it's a little longer duration than a full service hotel, but it's less than a 12 month lease. It's become very familiar and it's referred to as alternative accommodations from time to time now. So with the advent of Airbnb and the shared economy and the idea of staying in something a little different than a full service hotel and a fully furnished and accessorized apartment, it's become far more mainstream through Airbnb, where travelers around the world, you hear the word corporate housing. The accommodations here in the United States are not just for corporations, they're for a myriad of uses. It could be that you're in between homes, it could be that you're going through an unfortunate set of circumstances. So it could be a traveling nurse, it could be someone that's looking for disaster recovery. So. We provide fully furnished and accessorized apartments, typically here in the United States, it starts off with the utilization of an unfurnished apartment, just like someone would have rent one and we fully furnish and accessorize it. And reposition it for those looking for furnished housing again, not too dissimilar to what you might use in Airbnb with the leisure market. When we look at the international markets, there are purpose built service department blocks, very reminiscent of your full service hotels. However, they offer the kitchens and they're designed for the extended state market as well And a service department block commonly found in Asia and Europe. You're still your length of stay might range anywhere from one night all the way up until one year really the primary point of difference in comparing a hotel to a service accommodation or corporate housing is that it feels more like a home. So really what we're trying to do is provide a home for travelers around the world.
0: Yeah. And, you know, the European model and the Asia Pacific model were my favorites when I was at Bridge Street, because to your point, they kind of were like hotels because we had buildings, we had brands versus here in the States. It was more of an agency type business and it just didn't have the same sexiness, as I like to say to it. But it's an industry that's growing. And in Europe, it's commonplace. I mean, they've been doing this forever. And in the States, I think it's just starting to gain a little momentum.
1: Yeah, I think when you talk about the 80s, you say, well, that's been quite a time. But I think we're still in our infancy when you look at the lodging sector and the hotel sector. And I think the consumer really defines the marketplace and they like this space very much. So I think we're going to see the United States follow suit with what we've seen in Europe and Asia with more purpose-built assets, because the operators themselves, even our own organization, It's great when you can control the entire building from an efficiencies perspective, delivery of services. So I think the best is yet to come with corporate housing here in the United States, and I think we're going to see far more fully furnished and accessorized buildings evolving. And Let's just talk about sustainability, Brian, who wants to truck furniture from one side of the country to the next? And today's world, we've got global nomads, especially if you look at the millennials, they love to live all over the planet. So home is really where you're located. And why not have more of those apartments like you see in Asia and Europe designed and built here in the United States? So the traveler, for example, doesn't need to worry about case fits. Just get your favorite pillows and pillowcases and linens, et cetera. UPS does the delivery and you're in your new home. Why not? Like three months in San Francisco and three months in Manhattan and three months in London. So I think we will see an evolution and we'll see more purpose built buildings uh, that are more reminiscent of what you're experiencing in Europe and Asia.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, what I've seen staying in some of the buildings that you guys have units in, and and especially in the NorCal area, is the advancement of the design of the public space. Sure. Because it's more accommodating with small little meeting rooms and little niches. And it really, you know, allows you to get out of the apartment and go down and kind of work from home, but not work from home and feel like you're in an office environment and I, I've loved them. I think the way you guys have that set up is amazing.
1: I think I would agree with you, sir, and I would give a lot of credit to the multifamily developers. Mm-hmm. So here in the United States, we all think of unfurnished apartments and the multifamily developers. It's typically a 12 month unfurnished lease. But the way in which those communities are designed has changed really over the last 10 years. and the full service amenities you know, fitness facilities and multifamily assets that are reminiscent of private gyms mm-hmm. so why would you ever have to get a gym membership when you can have beautiful fitness equipment right there in the community and to your point the wi-fi access and the collaboration areas i think what we're finding is that people are okay living in a smaller square footage the footprint of the home and what they love is the communal feel, where you can get out in the community and you can You can work on your laptop, you can have a cup of coffee, and you're amongst others, but yet it's a quiet environment where you can still be equally as productive as if you were in your private residence inside the apartment community. So, I think what we're missing, Brian, to your point is just the furnishing of those Mm -hmm. units. I think we'll see the design of communities change in the years to come.
0: Yep, and I think community is the key there because even in some of these apartments, you have a daily activity for the apartment community, whether it's cooking or maybe learning how to make a certain cocktail or getting together for yoga. And it really brings everybody together, as, as you say. And I think community is the key word in all of these
1: projects at just point. I would agree with you. And I think we might talk about experiential living. I think people that are traveling, they want experiential living. They want a, a sense of community in a place that's fun and vibrant and what if you could get on a bicycle and ride down to the market and you could, you were close to public transportation. And then when you were back at your community to your point, you might be able to take a yoga class in the morning you know, or something of that nature. So I would agree 100%. The amenitization of the buildings really makes it an environment, an environment that's inviting. And then many of these operators are making them so that it really is experiential. Yeah.
0: And I mean, again, I'm, I you could label me a hotel snob for so many years because I was in the that's all I knew was hotels until I got to Bridge Street and experienced corporate service departments or whatever we want to call it. And you and I have spoken about this, that, you know, we had a flat over in the Bayswater section of London that I just love because I felt part of the community, even though I was only there maybe, you know, six or seven days a month. But you felt part of the community. I knew my little coffee shop. I knew yes. which, you know, Mediterranean restaurant I wanted to go to. I discovered Nando's and all of these things all around. And it was a nice working class neighborhood. But it was you felt that part of the community, even though I was only there maybe a week or you know ten days a month.
1: I think that's the excitement of travel, and I think that's the beauty of serviced accommodations, service departments, corporate housing is that when you stay for a slightly longer duration, you want to immerse yourself into the local culture. You want to do more than just stay in the hotel and eat in the hotel restaurant every night. You want to take those walks. So I think that's another compliment that's going to come out of the expansion of service accommodations worldwide, that more yeah. and more people are feeling a sense of boundarylessness. We talked about it earlier. The millennials, they love living all over the planet and really you know, diving into the local culture and becoming a part of the local community. For me, that's the beauty of life and really understanding different cultures, et cetera. So I think that there's a long runway and this is gonna be a really exciting industry as we continue to move forward.
0: Yeah, all right. So now let's go back a little bit. You're a young lad at San Jose State University, Mm -hmm. um, finance major, I believe. Yes. I never would have thought you were a finance guy because you've got such a dynamic personality, nothing against all my other finance friends but you've got this gregarious outgoing passionate personality sure. what did you do straight out of school did you get into this industry right away or was it, or did you have something in between when you got into this
1: so i think that probably defines me as an individual and the philosophy that i've shared with my children i think this journey of life is rather short and you need to chase your passions so in high school i worked as a banquet porter have you ever done that by do you remember rolling the eight rounds and the 10 rounds into the banquet rooms and setting up for weddings, et cetera? So at 17 years old, I worked part-time on the weekends as a banquet porter. And I think that was probably my induction to hospitality, and I fell in love with it. So I went to school locally. I grew up in the Bay Area, and I went to San Jose State, and I started off as a computer science engineering major. And I loved math, and that's why I went into finance. I wanted to get into business. When I graduated, my father said, you're going to become a financial analyst I said, no, I've fallen in love with hospitality. I'm going to go to work at a hotel. And he says, why in the world would you do that that's just education and finance? So I went out to work at I T T Sheraton. I went to San Jose state. And when I was in college, I would worked with some local hotels part time Bellman, I drove the bell vans night auditor front desk supervisor. So upon graduation, it was in my blood. I've loved hospitality. And I went out and worked at the ITT Sheraton there in Milpitas and enjoyed it very much. Had a a great start in the hotel industry. And then um, around 1990, I was recruited. Our controller there at the hotel, her husband, was working for Oakwood Worldwide. And he used to come in, and I was on the desk in the evening. And he shared this industry known as corporate housing and what they were doing over at Oakwood Worldwide. And in 1990, I made the transition, and I moved into corporate housing from the hotel business.
0: Oh, wow. And so if you look back at the hotel aspect of your career, what was your favorite gig out of all the roles that you did? Do you think? Does one stand out that you really, I mean, obviously as a bellman, you probably made the most money out of any of the gigs, but (laughs) I I, got to believe a guy with your personality does very well as a bellman.
1: You know, I loved it all. I loved various aspects. I would say the toughest position for me was the night auditor. Oh, really? (laughs) Learned a lot, but boy, that shift from eleven to seven was tough. And there wasn't a lot of human interaction, was there? But as far as if you were to compare the banquet porter, that was a really dynamic position, as you well know. Those banquet porters need to move extraordinarily fast, and then I mm-hmm. serve food and so forth. And I did love the bellman position, by the way. I stood by the front door while others may have been socializing, and I opened that front door for guests coming in. So it's been ingrained in me from early on the formality of hospitality as well. Serving the customer, serving the guest—you know—I treated every position with a tremendous amount of seriousness, and I love the rooms division aspect. I used to love being manager on duty. Imagine you had that fancy brand, uh, brass name tag, and you got to eat in the restaurant for someone that didn't have a lot of money, was up and coming in his career. I took such great pride in doing that, and being in charge of the hotel. You remember the M.O.D. ship? You were in charge of the hotel for the weekend, so. I don't know that I could outline one position over another. Probably the toughest was working that graveyard shift. Yeah. I loved it all, and I still spring out of bed this morning in corporate housing. I, I, I love it.
0: Yeah, the you know it was funny. You speak of the MOD program or the manager on duty program for those non-hotel people. I actually uh, grew a mustache or tried to grow a mustache because I couldn't get the guests to take me seriously. When I was MOD, now I was 25 years old, but apparently I looked a lot younger and it was like, well, no, can I speak to your dad type of thing when I would, you know, be the MOD. And so I was terrible at growing a mustache and my daughters look at pictures from back then. And they just, you know, they say to their mom, what were you thinking when you married this guy? But I had to grow the mustache to make it look like I was at least a little older, so they'd take you seriously.
1: I had the same experiences. How about new year's Eve? Oh my God. As a young aspiring professional on MOD shift, and uh, you know, trying to control the crowds and so forth, but it was all very exciting, dynamic, and educational. Every aspect of it—the good and the bad and the challenging.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I really feel like my first job out of university or college was night auditor as well. So that was like I, I took the t- my last exam on Tuesday, flew to Calgary, Alberta, like on a Thursday, and started on the weekend. And I felt I learned more about the business on that night audit shift because you were kind of, you know, this was back before computer. Well, they had an NCR, I think NCR 450. And, you know, you had to come into balance within, you know, 75 cents of the debits and the credits for the day. But you got to see everything. There wasn't a lot of senior manager around with you. So you were making decisions based upon your knowledge and just your own common sense. So I felt I really learned the inner workings of it from that night audit. Now, the shift wasn't the best shift, but I didn't mind nights that bad because all the fun stuff happened then.
1: I would have to agree with you, you know, paying your dues. And I would say that when I was at Oakwood Worldwide, where I gained a leg up was working as a budget analyst. So I spent a year and a half working as a budget analyst, doing all the pro formal work and working with the regional managers and, looking through their eyes when they had to make tough staffing decisions and how they were going to run assets, et cetera. So I tied those two experiences together, the night audit and working as a budget analyst as being core to a, who I am today. That was the tough stuff, the mm-hmm. tough work.
0: And then you had a brief stint, I think with California suites.
1: I did, I did.
0: And then how did you and your partner meet Jack Jensky and you meet and set up Synergy, because you've been Synergy now, what, 23 years, I believe? Yes. yes. That's amazing. We founded
1: Synergy in 1999, and Jack and I, I think he was at Oakwood a bit longer than I was. I was there eight or eight and a half years, and I think Jack was about 13 years. And there was a time in the evolution of Oakwood where they divided the country into regional operating companies, and Jack and I shared a portion of the country. It was Seattle, Portland, Sacramento, Northern California. And so Jack was in charge of sales and I was in charge of operations and we work hand in glove together. And we quickly learned that we shared a common philosophy on innovation, on people, on leadership, and really enjoyed working together. So, as you mentioned, I was with a very large worldwide organization in Oakwood. I went to work for a smaller organization for a period of time in my career to take a look at a different way of running a business. And then when Jack and I formed the company. I knew there was no other person that I'd like to work with than Jack because I'm a believer. We talked about passion that in life, you should change your passions and then alignment from a visionary perspective that we had a very common philosophy on leadership on people that we shared a common vision in 1999 on what needed to be done. Remember that was the dot com era where we had a tremendous amount of business, especially the Silicon Valley, where we founded Synergy. And Jack and I believed that the consumer was not just a means to an end. The consumer was not just how you grew an organization. We believed if you did it right, you built the right service, that the consumer would follow. And so we were passionate about how we delivered. Our first tagline was innovative solutions for your temporary housing needs, because we felt strongly that we wanted the organization to behave more like a technology company than a hospitality company. We wanted to innovate. We wanted to be customer centric. We wanted to listen to some of these extraordinarily exciting companies and be a part of their evolution and what they were doing from a human resource perspective. How could we deliver services that they might not have even thought of today? And that's really what got us excited.
0: So how how many people did you start with besides you and Jack? Do you
1: remember? We started with Jack and I. That's it? We started with Jack and I. We had two angel investors. We presented to six angel investors. The first angel investor we uh, presented to before he had a contractor agreement came to the front door and said i'm in so there were people around us that were extraordinarily excited and it was jack and i in the fourth bedroom of my house <laughs> so it wasn't a garage sir but it was the fourth bedroom of a house uh strategizing and how we're going to build the business we launched the company in july of 1999 to give you a feel first year's revenues or half year revenues was about $650,000, I can remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> I remember in October of 1999, a company by the name of Applied Materials went on a tour with us down in the Silicon Valley, and they said, we're going to take a chance on the little guy, and they did, and the year after, we did $10 million in revenues, and we were off to the races. Wow, in one year. In one year, sir. And you know, what I attribute that to, we had a, another shared philosophy, Jack and I, We're gonna hire people around us that are much smarter than we are. We're gonna hire some of the brightest minds in the industry that share a common passion for what we're trying to do. And if we can hire right, and if we take care of the people, they will take care of us, and together we'll take care of the customer. And that still stands true. And that's our most important asset are the people that we've surrounded ourselves with. And that's why this organization has been so successful.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you think about it starting off, that first year and now you're, uh, do you even know how many countries you're in now? I mean, you guys are just so, you know, well-placed throughout the world.
1: Yeah, we're probably 70 plus countries right now on a regular basis with business around the world. And probably I've... three three to five continents that we operate on regularly. So North, North America, of course, Europe and Asia are really what we consider the tri-region, the hub. Mm-hmm. Our business
0: and so fast forward your association with the the Ascot I mean another global leader how did how did that partnership come to play
1: well let me go backwards on on partnerships and expansion and you mentioned Bridge Street worldwide so founded in 1999 single city passion for delivery of service to the customer in 1999, the quest wasn't to be the largest and the biggest and a big global company. It was really customer centric. Take care of the customer. In 2003, one of our customers says, remember, we went through that 1st recession, the dot com recession. We need to leverage our buying power. It's not enough for you just to be in 1 city. We need you to be national. So, we looked at the landscape and how we would do that when well, we do it organically, open up additional offices and we aligned ourselves with bridge street worldwide. As you know, and they had a licensed global partner program, and so from 03 to 08 we were a part of Bridge Street's program and we scaled the organization throughout the nation. In 2010 another organization came to us and they were running a global contract and said it's not enough to be national, we need international. So in 2011 we scaled up our organization worldwide internationally. About 2015 Jack and I said we need an attachment to bricks and mortar, to your point earlier in our conversation. And right now we've got our agency business, we've got our provider business, but we really need to attach to another brand. We need to become a part of bricks and mortar and we weren't as strong as we wanted to be in Asia. So we went out and looked for a strategic uh, to come in and to be a part of our journey to help us take the organization to the next level. And after about six or seven months on due diligence, we really had a similar Outlook as ASCOT and what we were trying to do and at the time their CEO Chiku Lee wanted to transform the hospitality ecosystem. Big bold vision of where he wanted the organization to go and the part that Synergy would play in that uh, vision and so in 2017 we became a part of the ASCOT group and I believe that was a brilliant move on Synergy's part. Because it enabled us, it gave us the foundation to grow the company stronger and really scale the organization worldwide. And as you shared those stats earlier, we're now very proud to be a part of that. And The two organizations spend a lot of time because Synergy, if you think about it, is very close to the customer. Designing mobility programs and housing programs to scale a customer worldwide. And Ascot focuses predominantly on the brands of service departments. So it's a very complementary relationship and it's growing much stronger
0: yeah I mean, it's it's impressive to see what you guys have been able to to accomplish. So I'm gonna have one silly question, then we'll kind of get um, back on track with things. But in the hotel business, you have favorite buildings or favorite hotels. You guys have such a wide variety of buildings where your apartments are. Does one or two stand out as like when you travel, it's your favorite go to kind of place? Or is that too hard because you've just got too many, too many locations around the globe?
1: Well, you'd get me in trouble there, Brian, based upon the ownership interest of the asset. (laughs) So I'm gonna have to answer that in far more general terms. Okay. In the world, I'm extraordinarily proud of the apartment communities that define our brand. The ones that I love the most though. Are those that are really fully amenitized? And earlier we talked about those collaboration areas and the ones that have very clever design and our customers enjoy them. I typically like to be in an urban area. Walkability is important to me. I don't like to drive on congested freeways. If I can take public transportation, I prefer mm-hmm. that. So I think location gets me excited. Being in a city center where I can really experience the city anywhere around the world i'm a lover of food in india i love the cuisine in india and the earth so there's not one city you know i I think there are so many positive aspects around the world i love sushi i love tokyo i love the food in india i love to be in london so not one city better than others but i love walkability i love to be towards the city center i love a fully amenitized building i love the ones that have those nice little hangout areas where you get a morning cup of coffee and work on your computer before you go out to the office
0: okay you're very diplomatic you're not going to get in trouble with anybody i'll i'll let that go young man um, but um so you know in in that same vein you know it is it is tuesday and on tuesdays we like to uh thank those uh, individuals or those parties that kind of helped make an impact along the way of our journey of the career. So I wanted to give you the platform now to say your Tuesday thanks to um, whomever or whichever group or another person or whatever, but somebody or a group or whatever that has helped you along the way that you would uh, like to give thanks to. Well, I'm honored to do so.
1: Thank you very much, Brian, for giving me this opportunity. As I look back over my career and I think I'll focus a bit more on synergy from 1999 until today. And we've talked a bit about Jack and the relationship that Jack and I had in founding Synergy. But if you said, what are you most thankful for? And even the name of this company, Synergy, when we first named the company, there were some very institutional names that you might have said, Henry, that seems to make a bit more sense in defining your company. Corporate State America was one of the names we looked at one another and said the word synergy means everything to us because the sum of the parts is far more important than the individual part alone. and what we can do the effect on one another was core to us teamwork and camaraderie so my thanks brian goes back to all of those associates along the way from 1999 that made a very tough decision to potentially take a chance on the little guy we've been very blessed To have some people come and work at Synergy that had far, at the time, more lucrative careers and said, we believe in what they're doing and we believe in the vision and where this organization has come. My thanks, Brian, is to all the people along the way from 1999 until today that took the chance to join us and share in our vision and what we were setting out to do for the customer and what we were trying to do as an organization from a sense of purpose. That's really where the debt of gratitude for me would go. And I think that when you think of a brand and you think of an organization and and the ability of an organization to make its brand promise, you're only as good as your people. And if you can pick the right people and you can take care of them, they'll take care of you. And that's when you can really do, for lack of a better term, really cool things. Yeah. Really cool things that this organization has done along the way have been attributed to the people. They've made the real difference. And they're the ones that I owe the debt of gratitude to and the things equally for everybody that's made that choice.
0: Well, I think having having gotten to know you over the last uh, year, year and a half, you and Jack and, and Deborah and Leslie and a lot of your senior leadership team, it really does come to mind that it stems from that founding belief, I think, that you and Jack kind of put into place. And you guys live it. You guys are so fantastic. If If any of the Listeners out there ever get a chance to grab a glass of wine or a coffee with you, I heavily advocate for that because just watching you talk about it, the passion that you have for not only the past, because you could rest on your laurels because you've built this company from virtually nothing to a global presence affecting and impacting many, many lives, but the excitement you have for the future still after 23 years of running the company, it's quite contagious. And I think that stems from you and Jack, you've got a very unique partnership, the two of you, you're, you're, you know, to, to stay in business together that long and actually longer, right? Cause you work together at Oakwood.
1: Yes, sir. I think life is too short not to have fun, sir. And I said it earlier and I said it to my children that don't do what others think you should do. Mm-hmm. Chase your passion, no matter what that is in life, and you'll have a great life. And this journey yeah. of life will be very rewarding. So I've been blessed when we talked about the hotel industry and hospitality, that I've done something that I've loved. And I've surrounded myself with people that have been equally passionate about the sense of purpose and what we're doing. And so, as you mentioned, I think this sector, the lodging sector, there's a lot of excitement to come. And I think it changes if we look backwards historically and we look forwards and I think the consumer has told us they're excited about service departments, service accommodations, corporate housing, alternative accommodations. I think there are many names out there when you use a residential space for that interim housing. So I'm very excited about the company and the people that represent the company and where it's going. And I'm really excited about the industry. And where the industry is going, and how much potential we have down the road.
0: And so are you now getting back out on the road with, oh, of course.
1: with yes, COVID
0: and everything behind us? Cause I know we've all been, you know, locked down for two years. And are you getting back out to see everybody now and reconnecting?
1: Absolutely. I think we've learned a lot, you know, as we're talking today and, and we've used video conference, I think tactically that can be a very efficient way to get a lot done very swiftly. We're in the hospitality business or we're in the people business. I draw my energy from our people and our teams and to sit in a conference room where as you and i met in manhattan and really look eye to eye about a shared vision and what we're trying to accomplish i can't get out fast enough so we're back out on the road meeting with our teams ensuring that it's safe to travel and as we all know uh, things are changing with accounts etc but as long as it's safe for our people to be out there and we're taming this pesky virus forgive me sir Mm -hmm. Uh, we're out and about and excited to meet with our teams
0: yeah it's it it is good to get back out on the road and and meet with people face to face and i just think that with your passion and your team's passion you know super exciting things are to come with synergy moving forward so i look forward to that i know i've learned a lot today from you i was not aware that you went into the hotel business right after college so so that's And I and I know the listeners learned a lot about the whatever we want to call it, the service department or corporate, you know, living and all of that alternative accommodation. So I can't thank you enough for taking the time. I know you're you're locked and loaded and ready to go and you're you got things going on. So being able to set this time aside has been very appreciative. So I thank you and I look forward to maybe doing a a part two with your partner in arms there. And we'll see if we can't get convince him to jump on here one day as well with us. I think that would be fun.
1: Wonderful. So do I. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Right, And I look forward to listening to all of your podcasts <laughs> moving forward. So
0: well we've had forward. we've I've been very fortunate that we've had some great guests and and you're right up there with them. So I can't thank you enough. And and as I always say, if it's Tuesday, who have you thanked today? So Henry, have a great day and thanks again for joining us.
1: Thank you. Have a great day as well, sir.
0: Hope you enjoyed the show today and thanks so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. If you would like to be a guest on the show so that you can thank someone for their role in your career, please reach out to me via our Tuesday Thanks website at www tuesdaysthanks.com. Remember, a sincere thank you goes a long way to making someone feel appreciated and can make their day. So until next time, be well, be safe, and please don't be afraid to tell someone thanks. Chat soon!